Hello, my name is Daniel Lev Shkolnik, and this is Reenchantment, a podcast about finding wonder in a secular age. As a humanist, my faith lies in humanity, not in the supernatural. And if you believe that spirituality is fundamentally about cultivating the human spirit, then this podcast is for you. Recently, I've been doing a lot of episodes about politics. For this episode, I want to shift a little bit. It's not going to be a standard uh, interview-style episode. Instead, it's going to be just me. And I want to try something different. I want to start talking about practical spirituality. Spiritual concepts, techniques, ideas that anybody can use in their own lives. And today, I want to talk about a concept called natural temples. It's a term that I've been experimenting with for the past few years, but it's something that I've recognized as a phenomena, as a, as a presence in my life since I was a young boy. I want to start by telling you about a ceremony that I ran a few weeks ago during the Day of the Dead. I took a small group of people into a vast mausoleum here in New Orleans. The hallways of this mausoleum are huge. They're built for giants. And the walls are covered covered with marble. And you walk through these halls and it's like being in a labyrinth. They split off one from another. And there are these echoing, echoing silent rooms. And at the, in one there's a giant palm that grows to the ceiling. And I brought people into this space and I gave them an hour to walk through these halls, to dwell in silence, to spend time in sacred space, sacred time, uh, to grieve whoever they need to grieve and to commemorate anybody that has passed away. I've been creating ceremonies like these in New Orleans for over a year. And when I do, I'm very particular about the kinds of places that I take people. I put a lot of thought into the location. Because the location is not just scenery. It's sacred to me. I look for what I call natural temples. Places that, well, they feel naturally sacred to me. I seek them out and I spend time in them. I pace around, I go at different times of day, and I really try and understand the space and try and understand uh, and listen and hear what it's uh, saying. And when I bring others to these spaces, I want them to hear the same thing. There's a term for these kinds of places. They're thin spaces. In the Celtic tradition, there's a saying that Heaven and earth are only three feet apart, but in thin places, that distance is even shorter. It's thought that there's a veil that separates this reality and the next, this reality and the true reality. And in some places, that veil becomes more transparent, and more of the light shines in from that other side. Eric Weiner, a travel writer for the New York Times, wrote a piece talking about thin places called where heaven and earth come close. He writes that a thin place is not necessarily a tranquil place, 
or a fun one, or even a beautiful one, though it may be all of those things too. Disney World, for example, is not a thin place, nor is Cancun. Thin places relax us, yes, but they also transform us, or more accurately, they unmask us. In thin places, we become our most essential selves. And Wiener gives uh, a few examples. Thin places are often sacred ones, he writes. St. Peter's Basilica in Vatican City, the Blue Mosque in Istanbul, but they need not be, at least not conventionally sacred. A park or even a city square can be a thin place. So can an airport. I love airports, he says. I love their self-contained hermetic quality and the way that they make me feel like I'm floating, suspended between coming and going. Wiener points out that not all sacred places are thin. They may be sacred, but freighted with history. And our outsized expectations can make them collapse under the weight of their own sacredness. They end up possessing all of the divinity of a Greyhound bus station. I think this is pointing to something really key about these sorts of places, that it's not fundamentally about a sacred place, but rather it's about sacred experience. It's not about the physical buildings and the material that they're made out of, nor is it about the land itself that it's uh, that you come to. Rather, it's about what these things are pointing you to. If we codify and sanctify the physical place, we run a risk because it's not about the physical place. It's about the experience that the space leads us into. I like to call these places natural temples because when you find a thin place, it can be a one-off thing. You can find it by accident, and usually you do find it by accident. But if you return to that place again and again, and you use it as part of your own personal spiritual practice, it becomes a kind of sanctuary, a temple, a place that you can go and you can commune with your own heart, with your own emotions, with your own thoughts. For me personally, growing up, I had one of these natural temples right by my house, and I was really, really lucky and fortunate for that. And I didn't even realize how lucky I was until I moved away and it was no longer just across the street and over the stone wall. And th that place was a cemetery. And the cemetery, it was beautiful, it was well-kept. The hills, the mausoleums were uh, astounding. I've since found more impressive cemeteries, but for me, this place was special, and it continues to be special because I could always go there. Whenever I was feeling discouraged, whenever I was dealing with, with something in my life, or even if I wasn't, I could hop over the stone wall and within a few minutes, I was in a different world entirely. I'd wander alone among the gravestones and I'd see the hawks hunting among the pines. I'd walk between rows of uh, pine trees, uh, these hallways, these corridors that had been planted. I'd walk up the stone steps to the chapel at the top of the hill and I'd look out 
and I'd watch the radio towers blinking in the distance. And for me, it was a place that I could be alone, really, really alone, and without worry that somebody might see me and judge me. There was, there was no social pressure to conform or to perform in a certain way. It's something that we don't often realize, but we're constantly surrounded by a sort of atmospheric pressure, if you will, from all the people that we're surrounded by. If you suspect that someone is going to overhear what you say or see you even, you change the way you speak, you change the way you hold your body. William James in a lecture once pointed this out to, his, to, the, to the class, to the students assembled. He said, if I wasn't here in this podium, you'd probably shift around, you'd probably get up out of your seats, you'd probably stretch or, or do something else. But because I'm here standing at this podium, you're all facing straight, keeping good posture, keeping eye contact, listening. And if you notice from one social situation to another, we're constantly conforming and changing ourselves to fit whatever social expectations there are for that situation. And that's all well and good. That's that's how how society works. And and yet, there's a kind of deafness that can develop if we never have any true solitude. When we we know that we're not going to be overheard or or seen by others, that's when you can really be alone with yourself. That's what I found in that cemetery. I was able to find time and space for my largest thoughts. I was able to dream some of my biggest dreams. And that, I think, gave me the inspiration, the drive to be as successful as I think I was in in high school and on into college. And ever since I left Boston, ever since I moved out of my, my family home, I've been missing it. I've been missing these kinds of places. And on my travels, when I was traveling around the world as a journalist, I would stumble upon these places everywhere. In Morocco, in Tangiers, in Fez, in Istanbul. Everywhere that I go, whenever I travel, I try and find these sorts of spots. They're the true treasures, I think, of any kind of trip. It's moments when the camera goes silent, And you are just in awe of wherever you are, whatever you're looking at. Wiener, he knows this concept well. He writes about the quality of these places. And he says, in these these thin spaces, when you happen upon one of these naturally sacred locations, it's like time bursts its banks. It's not that we lose all sense of time, but rather that our relationship to time is altered, softened. In thin places, time is not something we feel compelled to parse or hoard. There's plenty of it to go around. And I I find that entering into this sacred time, entering into this sacred space, leads to an experience of the sacred. And that is the key. It's not the space itself. It's the experience that it evokes in us. And that experience is intrinsically worthwhile. 
And when you feel it, life itself becomes justified. It's an awful lot like the feeling of love. Why is it worthwhile? It just is. If you're liking the show so far and want to support the message of this podcast, please help sustain it by becoming a patron by going to reenchantmentpod.com and following the Patreon link. I rely on patrons instead of ads to pay for all the tech, time, and production costs needed to make this show happen. So please contribute, either at the $2 level or above. Once you do, you'll get access to the bonus episodes, videos, and special content. And anything you can contribute is a tremendous help, and I'll be grateful for it. And now, back to the show. How do we find these places? You might already be thinking about thin places in your own life. Places that you could consider natural temples that you might even go back to on a regular basis and find time for solitude, find time for your own thoughts. But if you don't have these kinds of places, or if you want to find more of them, uh, Wiener has a couple of good suggestions. You don't plan a trip to a thin place, he says. You stumble upon one. And there are certain steps that you can take to increase the odds of an encounter with a thin place. One, he says, have no expectations. Nothing gets in the way of a genuine experience more than expectations, which explains why so many spiritual journeys disappoint. Two, don't count on guidebooks or even friends to pinpoint your thin places. To some extent, thinness, like beauty, is in the eye of the beholder. Or to put it another way, one person's thin place is another's thick one. Wiener goes on to recount an experience he had with a certain bar. And it illustrates just how unexpected and how, how universally findable these spaces are. He said, a bar can be a thin place too. A while ago, I stumbled across a very thin bar tucked away in the Shinjuku neighborhood of Tokyo. It had only four seats and was about as big as a large bathroom, but inspired cathedral awe. The polished wood was dark and smooth. The row of single malts were illuminated in such a way that they glowed. Using a chisel, the bartender manifested, there's no other word for it, manifested ice cubes that rose to the level of art. I had my own experience with a kind of place like this in New Haven. There was a Moroccan restaurant there called Kasba Garden. And whenever, when you walk into it, it's down this alleyway and you get to the end of it and there is a garden waiting for you. And it's not a small one. I mean, it's relatively small, but it, it keeps on opening up. You walk down one path and just, you find more and more. There are Moroccan lanterns hanging from the trees and sculptures of animals hidden among the vegetation and you walk over these little wooden bridges and there are tables and chairs hidden behind trees and groves and at one point you realize you're standing ankle deep in a little grove of mint that the uh, proprietors the owners they pluck the mint from this this little grove and they make the mint tea out of it. It's unexpected, these places. 
and you can find them almost anywhere, down an alley, in a bar. But there's a certain kind of technique that I find particularly helpful in finding and also engaging with one of these places. It's a technique that William James calls spiritual hearing. He talks about how with spiritual hearing, you are entering the silence. And in this time, the outside world with all its daily events is barred out. And one goes into the silent sanctuary of the inner temple of soul to commune and aspire. The spiritual hearing in these states becomes delicately sensitive so that the still small voice is audible. The tumultuous waves of external sense are hushed and there is a great calm. This is getting at something that I, I think is crucial to understand about thin spaces and about being able to use them as personal, natural temples. We have an intuitive sense about these sorts of spaces, and they are very personal. Somebody can bring you to a very beautiful, sacred space for them, and it could feel meaningless to you. And vice versa, you can bring someone to your holy of holies, and they yawn and check their watch. It's something that is a subjective, a subjective thing. The natural in the term natural temples is really referring to a personal sense of what is natural. But I think that there are certain characteristics of these spaces that tend to increase the level or the sense of sacredness. And this may be a partial list, it may be incomplete, it also may be something that is primarily subjective and something that I find sacred, but may not be applicable to everyone. The first of these, I think, is silence. Silence like a pine forest where the sounds of birds echo in the distance, where you can really settle in to the quiet, both externally and internally. Another attribute I've found is that there's a chance for solitude. As I mentioned before, in the graveyard, I was able to be myself, to walk around without the fear of being seen, or not even a fear, but even just the, just the slight pressure of walking by another person. You are already changing yourself, conforming or, or adapting to another person's presence. And in these places, you're afforded a solitude where you don't have to perform. That pressure is removed. I find that these places are beautiful. But I put beauty here in quotes because it is in the eye of the beholder what beauty is. Ultimately, a place must be beautiful to you. Whether it's an abandoned building with the paint peeling off the walls and rust running down from the, the iron bars, or a grove in the woods. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, but there has to be a sense of this beauty uh, that speaks to you. 
Another attribute that I often find in these places is that you get a sense of otherworldliness, that you leave the human world and you enter into one that is maybe more real or at least other, almost like a dreamscape. I find this oftentimes in abandoned buildings, abandoned power plants, abandoned churches. I like to explore and uh, check out these different different places. And I like to explore them precisely because they often have these attributes, silence, solitude, decaying beauty, and more than anything, an otherworldliness, where they've literally left the sphere of human care and you can see plants start to spring up from between tiles and decay itself becomes a kind of life process within the buildings. Another attribute that I tend to find in these places, tends to speak to me in this way, is vastness. I think it's not not a coincidence that we make our sacred buildings big. We make our cathedrals high and our mosques wide and broad, we make use of space, we make use of vastness to impress upon those entering a sense of smallness, a sense of being in the presence of something great and big and important. And so in terms of natural temples, I often find that when I climb to the top of a rooftop, I find that sense of vastness that solitude, that silence, and that presence of the stars above and being able to see far, far further than I could on the ground. Hilltops, mountaintops, peaks, canyons, any place that affords you a glimpse of your own smallness and the vastness of the earth and the universe at large, that will often do it. I was talking with Erling Hope, who I mentioned in another episode not too long ago. And we were speaking on the phone, and I was telling him this uh, list of places. He pointed out, though, that there are certain places that have pretty much none of these characteristics or go against many of these characteristics and may still be considered a thin or, 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 or a natural temple. And one that came to mind for him was the 9-11 memorial in New York City. And I realized he was right. It's not silent. You have no solitude there. There's throngs of people. It's full of not particularly beautiful things. And it's not particularly otherworldly. It's in the middle of New York City. But yet, whenever he goes, and when I, when I went as well, there was a sacredness there. And so I think another attribute that it's worth adding is the sense of symbolic significance in a place. That if a place has some kind of meaning, has some kind of forical meaning, historical meaning, personal meaning, that accrues, that adds to the, to the place, and it adds to the significance of the space. And a place might have none of the other attributes, and yet if it has enough symbolic significance, it can be a natural temple. But ignoring all of those attributes, the most important one, as I said before, 
is your own ability to connect with the place itself. If you quiet your mind, if you utilize your sense of spiritual hearing, then you will be able to hear the place. You will be able to hear when you have entered into one of these spaces. And you'll know it by the feeling. It's not a sound, but a feeling. And it will be unmistakable. You'll have no doubt about it, because in those moments, all doubt disappears. Wiener concludes his article by pointing out an inherent contradiction that he sees in thin places. He says, the divine supposedly transcends time and space, yet we seek it in very specific places and at very specific times. If God, however you define it, is everywhere and every when, as the Australian aboriginals put it so wonderfully, then why are some places thin and others not? Why isn't the whole world thin? He goes on to write that maybe it is, but we're too thick to recognize it. Maybe thin places offer glimpses not of heaven, but of earth as it really is. I think there's a lot of truth there. I think that all places can be temples. All places can be thin and sacred. I believe that Marcel Proust had a quote that the true voyage of discovery is not about seeking new landscapes, but about having new eyes. And I think there's so much to be said about what we bring into a place. It's less about the physical environment. It's less about the acoustics. It's more about what we're bringing into that space. If we're bringing peace, if we're bringing grief, if we're bringing joy and anticipation that colors the entire room, the entire landscape that we are entering into. Ultimately, it's we're the ones who bring light into a cathedral. We're the ones that illuminate stained glass windows with awe and, and feelings of ecstasy. It's us who light up paintings with meaning and appreciation. Without us, all the, these temples, all the libraries of the world, all the museums would just be so much dead matter. But with us, they reflect the ineffable and the divine aspect of ourselves that we project out onto the world and that echo back to us from the landscapes and the buildings that we see. When we see and experience a place as sacred, I believe we're listening to the echo of our own souls. Now more than ever, it's important to cultivate a personal spiritual practice. And while it's hard to build your own sacred shrine, often costs money and often is difficult to maintain, but if you can find places that already exist in the world, that are just naturally there, whether it's a uh, a forest grove, uh, a river, a waterfall, a place where you can find quiet, where you can find solitude, where you can glimpse the vastness of the world. And if you can go there on a regular basis and make a practice of it, then that can be a kind of personal temple, a 
personal sacred space that you can use to go deeper, to feel more. I often find when I go to these places, even, they're, even if they're out of my way, I never regret the effort that it takes to get there. I never regret the time that I spend there. I never think that I should have been doing something else. It's out of the question. The experience of these places, when I find one that resonates with me, it makes life intrinsically worthwhile. And when I feel it, I have no doubt my life is justified. When I enter into these places and these times, there's nowhere else I'd rather be. There's nothing else I'd rather be doing. The meaning of life is not a question that needs answering. In those moments, I know it. I feel it. I have it. Thank you for listening to Reenchantment. If you have your own ideas about thin spaces or the concept of treating them as natural temples, send me a message at daniel at reenchantmentpod.com. I respond to every email I get. I'd be glad to hear from you. This week's word for the eighth thesaurus is duende. D-U-E-N-D-E. And it's a Spanish word popularized by the poet Federico Garcia Lorca in his lecture, The Theory and Play of Duende. According to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, duende literally means ghost or goblin in Spanish. It is believed to derive from the phrase dueño de casa, which means owner of the house. The term is traditionally used in flamenco music or other art forms to refer to the mystical or powerful force given off by a performer. Garcia Lorca writes about it, saying that this mysterious power, which everyone senses and no philosopher explains, is in some the spirit of the earth, the same duende that scorched the heart of Nietzsche. According to Christopher Marer, editor of the book In Search of Duende, there are four elements that can be identified in Lorca's version of duende. Irrationality, earthiness, a heightened awareness of death, and a dash of the diabolical. It's a feeling that's closely linked to what you might experience in a thin place, and it's something that I search for personally and often find when visiting my own natural temples. I may have to do a whole episode on the concept because there's so, so much more that I want to tell you about it. Once again, thank you for listening. I'll see you next time on Reenchantment. enchantment